Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Conroe Bible Church. It is good to see you all this morning. If you were one of our guests, um, I want you to know that you're most welcome. I'm glad that you're here with us. And I have a few announcements before we begin uh, for things that I think you would want to know about so you can uh, participate in being involved. Um, the first one is don't forget about our 4th of July party up here at the church um, on the 4th from uh, 4 to 7. And if you have not signed up, it is too late. You, can, you cannot come and hang out. If you should decide to go ahead and come and hang out, you might want to bring a big dessert to uh, make amends for not signing up ahead of time. <clears throat> On the 13th up here at the church, CBC Kids is, are, are hosting a family nerf night, and I already witnessed a disagreement in ABF um, about how that's going to go and who gets to shoot who. Um, but you can come up here and participate with the kids. Um, as I understand it, there are games for adults also shooting kids, right, Adam? Yeah, we're going to line up. It's a disciplinary thing. Hearts to Serve is a, a service opportunity our women have coming up on July 15th. You can find the details out about that um, on a church center. You can also see a bunch of the stuff they're gathering for that opportunity out here in the foyer. Um, and then as, uh, as you've heard before, probably Kids Camp is still, registration for Kids Camp is still open. Um, and that's going to happen July 18th to the, to, uh, to the 21st um, for, for kids K through 5. What? Oh, you still need volunteers. I'm pretty sure the whole church signed up to volunteer at this point. Just kidding. All right, you guys stand up and we'll begin. Glory above to bear it to dark out. 
Glory 
Forever to the King. 
stone was moved for good for the lamb and conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born then the spirit lit the flame now this gospel truth of old shall not kneel shall not faint by his blood and in his name in his freedom i am free for the love of jesus christ who has resurrected me We thank you for being life to us when we were dead. We thank you for your love, for your compassion. We thank you for your affection toward us. We ask this morning that you would be honored by our worship, that you would draw near to us and teach us because of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can be seated, and if you're one of our kids, K-5, through you can be dismissed to kids' worship. Good morning. It's good to be here. Everybody doing okay? Long time no see. Uh, I want to begin this morning by asking you a question, which should be up there any moment. There we go. What are you willing to do to get ahead? What are you willing to do to get ahead. Maybe just as important to ask is, what does it mean to you to get ahead? Think about that for a moment. What does it mean to you to get ahead? Well, by the time we finish today, uh, I hope you have some clearer perspective on that. Um, we're going to do some things today. We're going to explore some things today in Psalm 52 to help us get a handle on those questions and to really help us to think about our own lives, what it means to get ahead, and how do we go about it. So let's turn uh, in your Bibles to Psalm 52, um, and I want us to start there. Psalm 
So if we could go ahead and forward to the next slide. In Psalm 52, it begins this way. It has this neat little thing called a superscription, right? Um, and this is it. Um, and what you'll notice is that it's a Psalm of David, okay? And that's really cool. Um, but beyond that, it tells us the occasion of the Psalm. And that occasion is when Doeg the Edomite came and told Saul and said to him, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Okay? So we know what prompted this. Now, I know y'all just read that last night, right? When David went to the house of Ahimelech, you know all about that. Well, let me kind of set the stage for you. Um, what happens, uh, if you remember, is that Saul is made king. He does uh, pretty well early in his reign, but later in his reign, he gets lazy um, and he doesn't obey God as he ought to. And as a result of that, God says to him, through the prophet Samuel that the kingdom is going to be taken away from your house. That is to say that um, uh, he is not going to be uh, the progenitor of this dynasty, this family that will continue to rule and reign in the nation of Israel. That's going to be given to someone else. And you can imagine how that would have made Saul feel. What do you think he did? Do you think he just said, okay, Lord, I have sinned. And there you go. No. Saul does not do that. Saul does everything he can to hold on to that. Because we all know the story, right? Uh, who is going to be the one uh, to carry on that dynasty or to, to start that dynasty? Um, it's going to be David, right? And so David comes on the scene. Um, he's introduced to Saul because Saul has an evil spirit from the Lord, the Bible says. And so uh, David comes in and he plays music because music is good for the soul of man, right? And so David comes in, he plays. Well, it's not long after that where David has the episode with Goliath. And we do all know about that one, right? And so uh, he takes the sling, he takes the stone. Goliath is vanquished. The Israelites win the battle over the Philistines and life is good and they write songs about it. And what happens in these songs is the women cry out. They say, Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his ten thousands. And that's when the music goes, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> right? Because Saul doesn't like that. Because they ascribe to him thousands. Okay, that's fine. But they ascribe to David ten thousands. And for Saul's ego, that's not okay. And so what happens is, is Saul takes a dislike to David because he's jealous and he's afraid. Well, this goes on and it begins to escalate. And finally, Saul hurls a spear at David. David runs away. Uh, he and Jonathan concoct this plan where um, uh, they kind of test the waters to see if Saul is really serious about this. It turns out that he is. So David knows he has to flee. He's escaped uh, to the desert. And one of the places that he goes uh, is to the city of Nob. 
Okay, that's actually a Hebrew word we can pronounce, so that's good. Um, he goes to the city of Nob where this guy Ahimelech is the priest. Uh, Ahimelech is the guy who is, um, who, who's doing the priestly duties at this time, and he goes to him uh, to get food. Okay. Ahimelech is a little bit skeptical right at first. He says, why are you here alone? Because remember by now David is one of Saul's, the captain of Saul's bodyguard and some things like that. And it's odd for him to be traveling without an entourage, if you will. And he shows up all alone. And David concocts a story about why he's there alone. Anyway, he gets the consecrated bread. You remember that story? Jesus talks about that. Um, and so David takes the consecrated bread and goes on into the wilderness. Well, that's where our story picks up. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn actually. Actually, uh, to 1 Samuel chapter 22, because we're going to read just a little bit of that. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 7, uh, Saul is complaining. Listen to the complaint that he makes. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, beginning in the seventh verse, Saul said to his servants who stood around him, Hear now, O Benjamites, will the son of Jesse also give to all of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds? You see, uh, Saul is from the tribe of Benjamin, right? And so he's talking to his uh, extended family members, his cronies, if you will. And he says, essentially, uh, is David going to take care of you like I take care of you? Are you going to get from David what you uh, would get from me, the vineyards and the fields, um, et cetera, et cetera? He says in verse 8, For all of you have conspired against me so that there is no one who discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. And there is none of you who is sorry for me or discloses to me but that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in ambush as it is this day. Now, by the way, everything he said is false. David is more careful about Saul's life than anybody in the kingdom. David will have Saul's life in the palm of his hand at least twice, and he will spare Saul's life. He will have the ability to kill him, to take out his enemy, to take out the man who is chasing him to end his life. He will have him right here, and he lets him go. He'll do that on two different occasions. So David is not out to usurp Saul's kingdom. Jonathan's son is devoted to David. And Jonathan has a plan to work with David to establish God's kingdom under David's rule. It's an amazing uh, act of selflessness uh, on Jonathan's part. But that's Jonathan's plan. They are not out to usurp Saul's kingdom. They have not made a covenant to ambush him. None of those things is true. And yet Saul is feeling how? So sorry for himself. Right? He cries out, will no one have compassion on me? Well, there's always a guy. Right? Especially when you're in power... And you cry out, will nobody do what I want? There's always a guy who will. Why? 
because that guy sees that you're the guy in power, right? And he is always willing to step up to the plate to do what you want. Why? Because you got the power, you got the fields, you got the vineyards, and he wants some of it, right? And so you're introduced to our guy, our guy Doeg. Verse 9, then Doeg the Edomite, who was standing by the servants of Saul, said, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Himelech the son of Ahitub. He inquired of the Lord for him, gave him provisions, and gave him the sword of Goliath the Philistine. Any of that a lie? Well, we didn't really read that part, so that's an unfair question. Let me give you the answer. No, none of it is a lie. He doesn't lie. What's the problem? The problem is, is that he speaks it after Saul says, everybody is against me. Won't anybody tell me uh, something that pertains to David in this conspiracy against me, right? In that context, when he says, Ahimelech has done this thing, what do you think is going to happen? This is the second time where the music goes, dun, 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 right? Because bad things are going to happen as a result of this. In verse 13... Saul now is speaking uh, to Ahimelech. Saul said to him, Why have you and the son of Jesse conspired against me in that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he would rise up against me by lying in ambush as it is this day? So that is the accusation made against Ahimelech. Here's his response. Then Ahimelech answered the king in verse 14 and said, And who among all your servants is as faithful as David, even the king's son-in-law, who is captain over your guard and is honored in your house? Did I just begin to inquire of God for him today? Far be it from me. Do not let the king impute anything to his servant or to any of the household of my father, for your servant knows nothing at all of this whole affair." So he makes a defense. Did he give him the food? Yes. Did he give him the sword? Yes. Did he inquire of the Lord on his behalf? Yes. And that's all stuff that he's done all along. Why did he give him the food and the sword? Because he thought he was on the king's business. Why does he inquire of the Lord on David's behalf? Because David is always wanting to know what the Lord wants him to do. Right? And so David, as a matter of course, goes to the priest, goes to Ahimelech to find out what the will of God is. That's not new for him. And so Ahimelech says as much and makes his defense. Let's see how it goes. Verse 18, excuse me, verse 16, Then the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech. You and all your father's household. Yikes, that's a little harsh, don't you think? And the king said to the guards who were attending him, Turn around and put the priests of the Lord to death because their hand also is with David and because they knew that he was fleeing and did not reveal it to me. 
But the servants of the king were not willing to put forth their hands to attack the priests of the Lord. Why? Why won't they do this? The king said, do it. Why won't they do it? The short answer is this. Saul's a nut and delusional and they know it. Okay? They know that this is a heinous act and it ought not be done. One man shouldn't be killed, much less 80. And they refuse to put their hands to the sword. <coughs> Excuse me. Then the king said to Doeg, you turn around and attack the priests. What do you think he's going to do? Y'all don't read ahead. <clears throat> and Doeg the Edomite turned around and attacked the priest. And he killed that day 85 men who wore the linen ephod. That means they were in the... Uh, they were acting as priests. And he struck Nob, the city of the priests, with the edge of the sword, both men and women, children and infants, also oxen, donkeys, and sheep. He struck with the edge of the sword. So Doeg begins... By telling Saul what he wants to hear, right? I've got something for you. And he gives it to him. And he ends by doing Saul's dirty work. By taking his sword and killing 85 men who were probably bound and unable to defend themselves. And then he doesn't stop there. He continues with the women and the children and even the livestock. What's got to be going through a guy's heart to do that? What has to be his ambition? What are you willing to do? What was he willing to do to get ahead? And that's really what we want to look at today. Okay, so that's the background, right? That's, that's how we get to our psalm. That's what has happened to get us to Psalm 52. So let's go ahead and turn over to Psalm 52 now. And we are going to trot on ahead here. David begins the psalm in verse 1, verse 1 with a question. Why do you boast in evil, O mighty man? Now, do you think David really thinks that he's mighty? How mighty do you have to be to kill somebody who's bound? How mighty do you have to be to kill innocent men, women, and children? So there has to be sarcasm here, right? It has to be dripping with it. You and I would say something like, is it really wise for you to boast, out your, boast about your evil big man? Right? That's how we would put it. And that's the idea here. He is not a mighty man. He is simply a man who is willing to do whatever he thinks will help him get ahead. And in this case, he has done a very great evil. And he's not even ashamed of it. He doesn't do it in the shadows. <coughs> Excuse me. He does it in the bright 
light of day. And he doesn't turn from it. It becomes a badge for him where he says, this is my loyalty to the king. He brags about it. Well, the verse goes on. It says, the loving kindness, or I think a better translation of that word chesed, is loyal love. The loyal love of God endures all day long. Isn't that a weird way to, to follow the initial phrase? It kind of is, but I think the idea is this. It's not wise for you to brag about your evil, big man. Don't you know that the loyal love of God lasts forever and ever? Meaning God's loyal love for his people. Obviously, David is in view here, but it can be more broad than that because this man has killed what group of people? The priests, right? They're God's people as well. And so that's the idea. Be careful about boasting about your evil and and your mighty deeds. And I say that in quotes. Because God's loyal love lasts forever. Meaning God will take care of them and you. And we'll see that here in just a little bit. Okay? And that's the idea. So this is a fairly good warning. To the one has done, who has done this. And then he begins to flesh it out. He says in verse 2, Your tongue devises destruction like a sharp razor, a worker of deceit. See, we, we talked about how he didn't really lie, right? It was the whole thing that was meant for destruction. Uh, and the whole thing was de- deceptive because he, he gave the information to King Saul in a context where it was guaranteed that King Saul would take it a certain way. How many times in your life have you told somebody something? And you think to yourself, well, technically I didn't lie but you knew because of the circumstances they would take it a certain way. And that way was not according to truth. Anybody besides me ever done that? Liars. (laughs) We've done that. We do that. You can go to bed at night and say, well, I didn't technically lie all you want to, but God knows and everybody else knows that you and I and Doeg meant it for destruction. That is what we did, and that was the intent of our hearts when we said it in the circumstances in which we said it, okay? So you be careful about what you're willing to do to get ahead. He moves on. Verse 3. You love evil more than good. Falsehood more than speaking what is right. Verse 4. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Literally, that, those words that devour mean words of swallowing. Isn't that a great picture? Words of swallowing. You see, Doeg has embraced the evil. 
It's not just a moment of weakness, right? It's not just that moment of weakness and he does it and now he regrets it and he he wishes that he had done differently and he turns away from his evil and follows the right path. No. He has now embraced the evil. You don't kill 85 innocent guys plus women and children if you're not fairly committed to the task. You have time in that process to turn around. Can we agree on that? And so this guy has embraced the evil. He has embraced the agenda, if I can put it that way, for our day and in our culture. Verse 5 Here's a really big but, okay? But God will break you down forever. He will snatch you up and tear you away from your tent and uproot you from the land of the living. God will break you down and he will uproot you from your tent. If you're uprooted from your tent... Uh, That means you're no longer living at home, right? Because the tent in that day, in that culture, was where you lived, okay? Especially if you're like Doeg. By the way, he was Saul's chief uh, shepherd, all right? And so it is his custom, his habit to live in tents, and he is going to be snatched away from that. Now, it's not clear how or, or why, okay? It could be some calamity. It could be that he is taken prisoner by some marauding band. We don't have any idea. Anything that we say would be conjecture. But the point is, is he's homeless. Or God will uproot you from the land of the living. Now that's a little more clear, isn't it? When God uproots you from the land of the living, what does he do? He kills you. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want to be broken. Uh, I don't want to be homeless or destitute. And I sure don't want to be dead. Okay? The point is, is when we embrace evil to get ahead, does God stand there and say, Well, golly gee, I just don't know what to do with you anymore. No, he does not. He knows exactly how to deal with you. Now, does he want to do it that way? Everybody nod like this. He does not. When you fall into evil, even heinous evil, what do you do? You confess it and you turn around because God still loves you. But if you embrace the evil, if that becomes your affection and the thing to which you become devoted, you better hold on because it ain't going to go well with you. Okay, let's keep going. They put a clock up there, so now you know how long that you've been talking. Terrible thing. All right, Um, verse 6. The righteous will see, talking about God breaking down, snatching and tearing away, uprooting and all that. It says, the righteous will see and fear 
talking about reverencing God. They will see what happens to you, evil Doeg, and they will say, whoo, Lord, that's rough. I don't want any part of that. And they will revere God as a result of it. They will respect God and they will obey. And then here's what they will do to you. They will laugh at you and say, verse 7, Behold the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and was strong in his evil desire. They laugh at you and they say, This is what happens when you refuse to trust God. When you refuse... To fear God and obey Him. Now we, we can take this in a couple different ways. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, obviously that's what this is talking about. Okay? Now, in an Old Testament sort of way, let me be clear about that. Jesus hadn't been born when this was written. But you get what I'm saying. If you try to go about life your own way and you leave God out of it and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you will die in your sins and you will end up in a place called hell. It is the lake of fire and it's awful. You don't want to go there. It will not go well for you. But let me say a word or two to those of us who have trusted Jesus. We think, whew, that doesn't apply to me, right? Because I already trusted Jesus. Wrong. If you stiff arm God and says, I love you, Jesus, you saved me, but ultimately I'm going to do what I'm, I want to do. It will not go any better for you, saved though you are, it will not go any better for you than it went for Doeg the Edomite. God will take you out if you will not return from your sins. You want to tear people down, charge ahead. But the outcome is not going to be any different than it was for him. Are you with me on that? I got a few nods. That's good. All right. Verse 8. Here's another big but. But as for me, David's speaking here. As for me, I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Now, in ancient Israel, you got to know, olive trees were good things, right? Um, Because, A, they survived drought really well. Uh, But more than that, they produced these olives. You could eat them. You could press them. You got their oil. The oil was useful. You could trade it. Obviously, you could uh, start fires with it. You could use it for food. There are all kinds of things that you could do with this. This is a good thing. It is a fruitful thing. And it is in the very presence of God. And it stays green right it stays vibrant it stays nourished it stays safe it is tended to and cared for in the house of God and that is what David likens uh, his life to because he trusts in God notice what he says As for me, I will be like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the loving kindness, or again, a better translation is loyal love. I trust in the loyal love of God forever and ever. What makes him nourished, fruitful, and thriving? It is the fact that he trusts God. I like to preach on this one uh, uh, place in the book of 1 Samuel. 
David has gone to hide in the cave. And God says, don't hide in the cave. I want you to go over here to Judah. Uh, by the way, Judah is the very place where Saul was and where Saul was hunting for him. So God told David to be safe, right? No. God told David to go to the place of danger. And you got to be scratching your head going, what? God does that? Yes, God does that. Why did God do that? I don't know. But I'll tell you what I think. I think God wanted to prove to David and to you and me that he will show up every day. He will show up every day to take care of you. You can trust him every single day with every part of your life. And that is what David is saying in this psalm. I'm like a green olive tree. I am fruitful. I am nourished. I have an abundance in the presence of God because I have trusted in his loyal love that does not fail And things will go well with me. Does that mean David didn't have any problems? Of course not. Don't be naive. Nobody is sitting here saying that if you just trust Jesus, you won't have any problems in your life. That is not the message today. But what it does mean is that even through the trials and through the problems, God is with you. And you will, you will be nourished. You will be cared for even through the drought and the difficult times. Are you with me? All right. He goes on in verse 9, I will give you thanks forever because you have done it. The idea is he gives thanks God, uh, to God forever. He praises God forever. Why? Because God acted on his behalf. If you don't know the rest of the story, Doeg does his thing and David is on the run. And frankly, he stays on the run for a long time, about 10 years. But ultimately, God removes Saul from being king over Israel and David is made king. And he becomes the quintessential king that everybody else is compared to until Jesus comes on the scene. Okay? God does a mighty work in David's life. David was never perfect, but he was always uh, someone who trusted in God. And that makes all the difference in the world. When David sinned his heinous sins, what did he do? Did he uh, make excuses? Did he say, well, I did obey you? No, he did not. He confessed his sin. He owned it. He took his whooping and he continued to serve God all the days of his life. And it went well with him, even through difficult, hard, hard times. And he can praise God even in the midst of all of it goes on, and I will wait on your name. That's a poetic way of saying I am going to trust you through it all. I will wait on your name for it, that is your name, is good. One of the things that you need to know and believe for you to trust God well is that he is good. If you're scratching your head wondering if he's really good or not, it's going to be difficult to trust him. You need to be convinced of that. 
But if you're having questions about that, go back and read Genesis 1 through 2. And look at how God created this, this creation in which we live. Look at all that he provided for you. Look at how he cares for you every day. Are you breathing? Then you can praise God. Did you eat this morning or at least last night? Then you can praise God. God is good. He takes care of you. If you have a roof over your head, if you had food in your belly, if you have breath in your lungs, God has taken care of you. He is good. And ultimately, this praise, this thanks, as David um, waits on God's activity in his life, uh, this praise will occur in the presence of your godly ones. That's other folks who trust in God, right? It is a public declaration of God's goodness and activity in David's life. And that is how he will end up. By the way, that's a pretty good way to spend your time praising God for all that he has done in your life and all that he continues to do and in every way that he is taking care of you. Not a bad old deal. And so as we conclude you begin to see the two men and the two ways. Those who put their trust in their money or in power or in anything else that is not God and those who put their trust in God alone. You see how Doeg operates. You see the treachery. You see um, the heinous crimes that he committed all in an effort to move forward with the regime that he could see with his eyes. And yet you see David who will move forward with God and obey God. And as a result of that, he will be the one who is ultimately the king. He will be the one who ends up praising God forever and ever as the green olive tree that is nourished and healthy and fruitful. You with me? All right. So what do we take away from this? Well, number one, there are some things uh, that we need to be beware of. When you bet your life on tearing others down, okay, through deception or frankly any other means, you watch out. How do you do at work? Is it your MO to say things that you ought not so that other people look bad and you look good? Is it your MO to tweak things just a little bit so that you come out smelling like a rose and somebody else may uh, look less than? Are there marital problems in a relationship that you shouldn't be a part of and let yet you stick your nose in there and you cause problems? See, these are ways that we can do that. And when you do that, you beware because God knows and he watches. Beware when you embrace lying and deceit to get ahead. What's the end of that? How's it going to go? Some of y'all are old enough to remember somebody saying, I did not have sexual relations with that woman. <laughs> Come 
on? How does it go? How many times do you have to watch it on the news to figure it out? Lying and deceit will get you broken, bankrupt, homeless, destitute, and if you're bad enough about it, it may get you dead. Right? There are some things that we need to remember. God will judge treacherousness. Okay? Do you understand that? God does love you, and He is a God of grace, but He's not stupid. If you choose to go that way, God will judge that, and He will judge you because you did it. Now, I'm not talking necessarily about hell, um, but God knows how to chasten those who are His, who are His, right? He knows how to discipline. Uh, and if it's bad enough, he will take you out, even his own children. The Bible says that. I can say that up here. Trust me. Failure to trust God will get you broken, destitute, and or dead. I think I already said that. Right? Remember that. But here's, the, here's another big but. Betting your life on God will get you fruitful, nourished, and thriving. It will open the door for his activity on your behalf. Who doesn't want God to move for you? Raise your hand if you think God just needs to sit on his hand where you're concerned. Of course not. Who doesn't need help? We all do. We all need God to move in our lives to guide us and to help us and to be our strength. And gosh, we just need him so much. And when you trust him, it opens the door for that. Betting your life on God results in praise forever. Praise is a declaration of what God has done and how good he is. It's saying it out loud. It's telling other people, and you'll get to do that forever. Who doesn't like to hear good stories, right? We all love a good storyteller. You get to be that person when you have this relationship with God, when you bet your life on him, because you get to tell how over and over and over God showed up every day, and he was with you. Those are good stories to tell. So be encouraged with that. There are two ways. One will get you nowhere in the end, even if it seems fruitful in the interim. But the other will give you an end that you cannot even imagine for its immense goodness and joy and rejoicing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all your goodness to us. We thank you for these pictures that we see in the Old Testament of how to live and how not to live. Give us grace to take it to heart. Help us to leave off our treachery and our lying and those things that would lead us away from you. Help us instead to trust in you and you alone as we go forward in our lives. Give us grace so that we trust you enough to obey. 
We praise you for all your love and goodness to us. And we praise you for your word that it instructs us how to live. We pray, Lord, that you will make us like our Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me?
Thank you for being here this morning. Have a good week.